Hey, what's up, bud? Hey, man. Sorry, my Wi-Fi just wasn't going to cooperate there. I couldn't get to you. <laughs> I, I, I can hear you perfectly right now. How's cool, everything cool. going? It's good to finally uh, get to talk to you. Yeah, you too, man. You too. What's uh What's going on? Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish my workout here. I was gonna do something kind of cool live for your uh, folks here. If you give it a half a second. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, hang on a second. Let me grab Let me grab one thing here. I'll be right back. Can you see me? I can see you. Okay. Can you? I, my wife's holding the phone, so we're kind of rigging this as we go. Cause this is my first deal with a live situation, so I have no idea. We're doing what's it. up here. So uh, I was just already working out doing dumbbell rows. So I don't know if you can see it. Can you see it now? I probably can come down here. We go. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, this is the 300-pound dumbbell. I'm gonna see if I can do a quick row or two with it. Oh man, get it. Let's go, bud. <clears throat> guys Ooh. hell yeah all right maybe not too bad because I hadn't done that in heavy in a while so maybe that'll look pretty cool I don't know yeah that was awesome dude thank you cool man you were a strong guy <laughs> well some days <laughs> um, so could you give a uh, the people who are familiar with you a little bit about your background okay uh, so in in lifting etc and that kind of thing uh, I got started about 14 13 14 years old and I was um, I got started training for football and I happened to go to this little gym that was like half a mile mile down the house down the street from my house and uh, I went to a little private school, played football there. They were building a new facility, but they didn't have a weight room, so they started getting us there to go to different weight rooms and stuff just where we lived. And they happened to have a powerlifting team. And I worked out for like three days, and the guy, uh, guy walked up to me and said, hey, man, why don't you come work out with us, and uh, you know, we're going to get ready for a meet in like six months. And uh, I said, okay, whatever, because I didn't know anything. I was 13 freaking years old, man. I had no idea. And uh, But the, I was already – I already had kind of a thing about working hard. I'd learned to do that as a kid. And um, so they let me in, basically. And I uh, started working out with them, and six months later was my first competition, and I set four state records and uh, competed for 16 years uh, off and on. Uh, best, I, best stuff I did was, in powerlifting, best stuff I did was I won a USPF National Teenage Championships. Uh, set three national records there. I won the WNPF World Lifetime Drug Free Championship uh, much later, and actually that was on a whim. I'd already actually left powerlifting and was actually training for strongman. I wasn't really even doing the regular powerlifts very much, and just heard about the meet like two weeks beforehand, and went over and happened to 
do pretty well. I set their their national squat or their world squat record and their world total record. Uh, and then I started competing in everything crazy you could possibly do, uh, strongman competition, uh, Highland Games. I did quite a bit of martial arts. I actually got started in martial arts as a, from being as a kid. Um, so I had a car accident about five years old. And uh, what happened was I, I walked in front of a van. The van crushed my hip, fractured my skull, put me in a body cast for, for months and months. And uh, they were giving me all this, you know, cortico drugs and stuff to help you heal and different things and stuff or whatever and whatever they did. So I went from being this little wiry kid to I literally came out of the cast like double the size I was when I went in. And, and had trouble walking and, and had all kind of trouble just rehabilitating. And this is in the early 70s. And they really weren't doing much for rehab. It wasn't like today where, you know, you break your pinky and you're in rehab tomorrow. It's not like that. They, back then they sent you home with a bottle of lotion and said good luck. And you were pretty much that was the deal. But my mom was real progressive, and she met a guy who was a Taekwondo instructor, and he got me. And so I, at six, I started doing that, and that got me really into, like, athletics and flexibility, and I got really sort of a respect for just physical movement and strength and that kind of thing. And then later on, years, you know, go by, and I started all the heavy, crazy stuff and had an interest in a wide variety of all kind of strength and martial arts and all that stuff, and I got a chance to perform a lot. I, what I really got into and what I really sort of specialize in is a, the widest possible variety of strength, and what I got, really, got into was the old-time strongman stuff. And so I had an opportunity to actually make a living doing that for several years. Uh, I performed. I uh, did a ton of school and church shows. I actually did over 1,000 school shows in a three-year period. Uh, so I got a, I actually got a real chance to like live on to live the way those guys actually did in that they for real lived and performed I performed like twice a day five days a week for nine months a year wow. and uh, so I got a real taste of you know what it was like to kind of travel and and travel and live and train and perform and have to balance it all and do all that whole thing and then I you know lost my mind and I've done all the crazy stuff I can possibly do since then I, I've just Dude, I, I can't like I have I have a thing about building creativity into your training and new challenges and new stuff like that. So whatever whatever wacko crap I can come up with is the next yeah, thing. That. <laughs> that's right up my alley. And that's amazing that you you are living our word like those old school strongmen who traveled and you know did did the routes you know, displaying their strength. Uh, so mm. that's, that's rare that we have someone um, with your experience who's doing the same thing that they've done, and it's a loss. It's a it's a rare thing, man. Especially in you know, because in the in the modern era, there really has only been one or two guys, less than a than ten or twelve worldwide, who've actually made a living as a single performer and perform full time. Now they they went to the church thing, got into this whole team deal where they had like power team and that all that stuff or whatever and their guys do that but like to be able to but what people don't know about the whole the whole performing thing okay is now in the vaudeville era a lot of times they had an announcer or they didn't even speak they just performed to music but in the modern era you can't do that you have and especially if you're a single performer so like, like i performed other than if i have a buddy with me or something or, or we we're performing with other you know but i never, never performed in the team setting where there's like seven guys and everybody does one feet and you can go sit down and like that like when you do a school show i did a school anti-bullying shows it's 45 minutes non-stop talk feet talk feet talk feet back and forth so you both got to be in shape in other words, you can't. Uh, you got to. You got to balance how hard the feat is. Okay, so when, it, when you do a feat, you can't like just do something that any knucklehead can walk out of the audience and do, because that's too easy. 
it's got to be hard enough that it's difficult and, and truly under people understandable. And that's another thing with that is that the old time guys really like a lot of the stuff they did is bending steel or bending using like household objects. So they roll a frying pan or bend a spike or whatever. They do that because the average guy, you know, now guys following you and guys following me and that whole thing or whatever is a little different. They understand what a dumbbell, you know, I just wrote a big dumbbell. They get it. Kids and regular adults who don't touch weights don't understand. You can walk in with a dumbbell that's 150 pounds, walk in with a dumbbell that's 300 pounds. They won't be able, they'll barely be able to tell the difference, and they won't know. But if you take a deck of cards out of the plastic and tear it in half, they get it. They they immediately understand the strength of the whole thing. And then you know if you stack up performing two, three, four times a day with a full 45-minute show with six or seven strongman feats as well as a, a speaking-based message. Throughout that, that gets to be quite a deal, especially with a different hotel every night and a couple thousand miles a week and whatever else you might be doing. It's kind of a crazy. That's hard training right there. Yeah, just just yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking of old school strongman stuff, what do you think today in the modern fitness culture, and, and I mean the bodybuilders and also the CrossFit culture, what do you think they've missed that the, uh, the golden era of strongman really – contributed to overall uh fitness culture physical culture uh, what's missing that we I, I think probably the i think probably the actual physical culture aspect if that makes sense um in other words those guys especially when you start talking about it from that period did not there were some guys who concentrated on how they looked and but a lot of those guys you had to to get respect in that era okay you you know you came from an era of working men of guys who like it was it's a big deal to go out into the farmlands and perform at a circus when everybody there works with tools and sledgehammers and stuff all day so if you pull out a strength feat you might have some big old farm boy just walk out and do it because he's been picking up 200 and 300 pound rocks or he's been swinging a 10 15 20 pound sledgehammer at a railroad all day so he's already in freaking shape um you you had to be not only above average that, but you also had to have uh, – like I'll give you an example of something that they used to say about Arthur Saxon. In some of his billing uh, – Arthur, if you don't know, Arthur Saxon was probably one of the top – definitely one of the top strongmen of all time. By far the king of the old school bent press, by far, long shot. Um, they, in some of his billing, they talked about he was a man in who looks strong, but he actually is strong, and he um, – as a man who could miss a night of sleep and not be affected, he's a man who not he he, he had a vitality. And I think that's the thing we we we've missed in modern physical culture in that it doesn't carry the breadth of real physical culture. Now that's where I actually think CrossFit has made a massive impact in widespread fitness because they agree disagree whatever you think about CrossFit. They did bring lifts and uh, and intensity, good or bad, that they did bring it to the mainstream that it did not have before. Um, and with the idea of, okay, yeah, I need to be able to have a big squat or I need to be able to lift something heavy or do an old school clean jerk or something like that. But I also need to be able to um, run five miles or do whatever along that line like i think that's the thing we've missed in the old school physical culture um i think they were more accepting than we are because what happened in our in the major um what happened is okay so they at that time they were they were in the, the formation of early competition lifting 
So when the Olympics re kind of allowed strength stuff and they brought that in and weightlifting was in the first couple of Olympics and then the whole thing or whatever, that, you know, that changed from year to year. There was different lifts. There was different thing. And eventually it standardized to a whole thing. But when that happened, what happened is people began to totally specialize and then we split off. So then you had Olympic lifters and you had power lifters and you had strongmen and you had bodybuilders and you had at, at that time the physical culture guy was just as likely to be able to walk up and lift a big barbell in a clean and jerk and then do a bent press or a big lift with a dumbbell as well as a grip thing and pick up a big stone and walk it and they say like they say Arthur Saxon could jump on a bicycle and ride a hundred miles without a, without freaking out now I don't know how true that is but that's what they say you see what I mean the the breadth of physicality and the emphasis on truly functional I think is the things that we've missed in modern in, in modern society and then we just we then we god we argue like a bunch of children my deal is better than your deal and your I crossfit but you are a power lifter but I'm therefore I'm cooler than you or you know that's all crap we're listen we're all a minute minority of the humans on this planet who care about being superior as a physical being and we really ought to sort of hang out together instead of hating on each other and being stupid about it yeah i mean it like you said it's all movement it's all physical culture and it's all right. like the original crossfit trying to bring you know in a sense they weren't trying to bring different things together it split off from that right and went into special right. fields and yeah that is right. thing that's lost nowadays where everyone everyone wants the metrics and numbers so they just highly specialize and you sacrifice this whole spectrum of strength that um right see now that's you. where and that's why i take a bunch of crap from people but that's where I, that's my whole emphasis is i don't just want to be like for you know so i got started in powerlifting and that's what we did but now old school powerlifting had a lot of roots with bodybuilding and had a little bit of roots with olympic lifting and if when they when you really you know so the old old school guys weren't as they still had, you know, issues with each other, but it was more like, you know, everybody was playing in the same sandbox and once in a while we'll kick a little sand on you. But it wasn't that, that like it got really, really ugly for a while. Now it's a little, it's actually cycled back to we're a little more friendly with each other. But, you know, the old school guys were okay. Like a lot of people might not know this, but like the original bodybuilding contest from the 50s and stuff, the stuff that like Steve Reeves and John Grimmick and all those guys were winning and the old school guys win that. So, those guys actually got points for not only posing on stage, but you got points for actually lifting. So they had backstage actual lifts where you had to be able to do stuff and have a wider variety. And and there's my thing that I that I think a lot of big lifters miss and what you just said. There are thousands of ways to express the human body. Thousands of ways. Uh, uh, amazing ways. Uh, un, things we still haven't discovered yet on the combination of how to do it on what to do. And there's so much to do. And here's the thing. Like for me, I think simplicity of lifting, like, every, okay, watch me just do a dumbbell row. That's a stupid, simple exercise. And people are like, oh, you're so heavy and it's cheating or whatever. I, listen, I don't care. I do one or two heavy sets of that and then I go do something crazy. I find something movement based to do. I do some, I tumble or whatever. I do. It, it, there's so many cool things to do. I think one of the big things we can do is just find the smart things that build big bases of strength and then branch out into all the other Dude, there's so much to explore. Like you, over the lifetime of a human body, you could do some wild stuff if you really are dedicated to doing it. And the other thing about that is, it doesn't take all day every day. Like this, okay? I I I did this. I timed this just so I could do it live for your, you know, just because I thought it would be fun. But 
like that was like six sets and took like ten minutes total leading up to what I was doing. That was it. That's my whole workout for Rose for the day. Now I'll go do something fun after. I'll throw knives at stuff or whatever else I like. Our our lights on fire, right? Yeah, probably something will end up on fire. Probably. I I, I didn't want to say, but yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's a great point because even I feel like even if you had ten lifetimes, you couldn't do every skill that's been formed over the years and so much of it is cultural too i mean if we were doing indian clubs or, or that type of culture stuff they developed a whole thing if we go to south america and they have capoeira and you know there's just limitless things that the body could do and i think it's fun to explore and try different ones and see what's fun and not get caught up in you know this is a competition. This is the way I have to do it because right. of some arbitrary sport, um, which is cool. You know, they, that's a culture in itself and they did find the efficient way to train, but you don't have to do that. You know, you can dabble in it. Like, right. Well, like I, like I, I think one of the best things that happened to me was getting in competition, but actually the strongest I ever got is after I left competition. Um, mm. and, and here's why. Okay. Power lifters, Olympic lifters, strongmen, if you want to learn how to squat, deadlift, bench press, you want to learn how to clean and jerk snatch, you want to learn how to flip a tire, lift a rock, they know how to do it. So they're technically proficient, which is huge. Same as if you want to learn how to swing Indian clubs and you go to India or a guy who does, you know, who's well-trained in that. You want to learn kettlebells, go to a legit kettlebell instructor. You know, you want to learn gymnastics, you go to a gymnastics instructor, that whole thing, you know. But go to the guy, but then after that, if you're not going to be a true specialist, if you just want to play and have fun, once you've learned how to actually physically most efficiently do a particular set of lifts, then you can go do awesome stuff. And, like, there's the thing I think is cool about that is what you said. Okay, yeah, you couldn't master any of this in ten lifetimes. However, you can get doggone good at stuff. You can get doggone good at a lot of stuff in this one lifetime very quickly. And I think something that people don't get with that is – like, uh, I, I get a lot of stuff from people about your training seems totally random. And what you got to remember is that you're seeing stuff on social media that you're only seeing a, a snippet. You're not seeing the reality of every day and the whole thing. And you're not seeing – what you're not seeing is that I have years and years and years of practicing basic lifts, and they, I, and I still practice them every few days, that one way or the other. That's the, That is the first thing that goes on in a lift before I go to another thing. And I said that to say this, mastering a skill gives you the skill of mastering skills. Mm. So if you take one lift, whatever your pet thing is, and take it as far as you can humanly do it, and do that one thing on a regular enough basis, now that's a big thing of, you know, what's the... That's a big issue in training. That's, you know, that's a debate for all kinds of, you know, how, do you do it every day? Do you do it every week? Personally, I settle on the generally about once a week, once every 10 days kind of a thing. But if you take that one thing and pursue it for years and do it over and over and over and over again until you're really, truly good at it and you truly understand the skill and you go through the phases like um, Jeet Kune Do had a thing or Bruce Lee had a thing about – or I may, I may be misquoting or whatever, but like when you start, a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. And when you're in the middle, it's so much more than that. And then when you master it, it's back to being a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick again. That's the same way with weightlifting, and I think when you master those things, number one, you've taught the body so well on how to pick up things as it goes, and your body is so used to doing it 
you have a huge advantage to mastering stuff later on. And, and within that, you give yourself the ability to then be good at something else that you very quickly, much so much more quickly than you thought you could. Um, I think we're just literally convinced that I have to specialize and do this one thing and blah, blah, blah. I'm doing things today that 20 years ago I didn't think were humanly possible, as well as I didn't think would ever be in the cards for me to personally be able to do. And I always thought I was pretty capable. I always had a mindset of you can do basically whatever you can do. I think mastering a skill gives you the skill of literally learning and building things, and it's beyond physical. It's beyond. I agree. Yeah. I, I want to unpack that a little bit, but uh, yeah, that sounded almost Eastern philosophical mm -hmm. in a sense, where you find the ten thousand things mastering the one thing. Right. And uh, you know, I think it's you build principles, and specifically what we're talking about, you just become strong, and you discover mm -hmm. leverages and how the body works and things you could apply across the board. Uh, right. But coming to that, what I found is, um, especially strongman training, I think that foundation really carries over to other things. And more, con more complexity, more variability um, tends to help when you go into more specialized and convenient training. So an example, if you could, if you're farm boy strong and can lift a rock, um, mm -hmm. I think you'll be better off deadlifting than the other way around, a specialized deadlifter trying to lift right. some awkward no, I totally odd object. I totally agree. And I, like for me, I don't even, I rarely do a regular conventional deadlift and, and, I, and I split time about 50-50 between a barbell and a rock as far as that's my major pulling movement. Um, in other words, most people would say, you know, stones are stones. No, I consider stones like a part of deadlift and back and all the – and as well as they are whole body. And you could – you could now technically use a stone for squats or presses or whatever else as well. But so like I split time 50-50 on that because I think the stone – I agree, totally agree. The stone carries over more to the barbell than the barbell carries over more to the stone uh, in my opinion. Um, I, you know, again, you're – if you're already a six or seven or 800-pound deadlifter, you're definitely going to have an, an advantage of – over the guy coming off the couch, but if you're a guy who's spent enough time to be able to lift a three, four hundred pound stone, and you haven't done a lot of barbell deadlifts, but then you decide to actually work on them, yeah, you'll pick the skill up so much faster. You'll you'll learn to transfer. You'll learn. Yeah, I agree that with all of that stuff. And the next step is then you'll pick up a complicated skill faster than a than a gross motor skill. So because you've mastered gross motor skill. So say you started with lifting stones or you split time 50-50 and you got pretty good at both some kind of a deadlift and some kind of a stone work or whatever. And then you want to learn juggling snatches, some kind of a juggling snatch, or maybe, a, maybe an Olympic snatch or maybe like I prefer one-arm snatches and I prefer to do them with different – all kind of stuff just because I want the explosive power of pull. I want the simplest version of the gross motor power there as well, but then I also generally try to add some kind of a ridiculous twist of doing a standing on a balance beam or whatever, you know, whatever. You'll pick up those things better because you'll have so much more, you have so much more raw horsepower and more physical unit to work with. So your bones are better, your tendons are better, your ligaments are better, your nerves fire better because they've already gotten used to firing off. So now just learning the little bit of complexity on top of that, I agree, is, is I think you're better off to build that huge base. And it doesn't take this massive amount of – it. super top-end strength takes years, period. There's no – that's a, that's a game of years. 
but basic solid strength, and especially basic solid strength from a gross motor standpoint, doesn't take a bunch of time a week. It doesn't take a, it's very efficient comparatively. It's a, you know, it's not like it's way more complicated to get a PhD in butterfly catching than it is to learn to lift stones. That's pretty comp. That's pretty easy. Yeah. You know? and, and I feel like anyone that's something with a barbell, it's a little bit more, um, technical. Absolutely. Uh, but I've rarely seen someone hurt themselves lifting up a stone or rock. Right. Especially the in way my opinion, a, especially now this is just my opinion, especially a natural stone. I, I do think, um, so the Atlas stone or the, the truly round cut stone has a little more of a technical standpoint and has become its own total different thing within the competition realm of of strongman training. And I do think you occasionally will see some injuries there, but you will see that because the the massive volume of practice going on. Plus when you add in about the, the real thing you're about only to see in a stone lifting is a bicep problem. And that's with the Atlas stone. And that's because the way it has to be gripped, and it's super bicep intensive. Plus, you add in the fact that usually strongman guys are also doing stones and arm over arm pulls and and tire flipping and a ton of bicep intensive stuff. And finding the balance of what's enough to keep things strong without going into what's enough to start damaging things to the point where you're likely to injure yourself. That's a big issue in the competition format. But natural stones, dude, are all, as long as you learn basic body mechanics, pretty simple. And I think from a wide standpoint of, of humanity, we're, dude, we have sunk into the weakest portion of the uh, that we've ever been on the planet. And we have... Like, people are going to say, I get this all the time. Oh, my God, you lift those stones, you're going to get hurt. No. No. I don't get hurt because I lift those stones. Well, let's let's get into that now. I know a lot of people who aren't in our niche community will look at what you do, shit on fire, throwing axes, balancing and lifting, and think that you're more prone to danger but i would argue you might agree that you are actually the world is a safer place for you strong people and the structure and integrity you built up make what you're doing safer and you are pushing it a little bit but you're allowed to and you know that's yeah. how we grow so what would you say to those people who think what you're doing is a recipe for disaster i think you you are buying into a bill of goods that is sold to people who are sedentary we are sold to that is the first the first thing you're going to hear because the people who recommend it from a medical professional standpoint and because the people who recommend it from normal human standpoint are, the first thing you're going to tell you is oh stop whatever might be bothering you not find a way to get stronger so you can accomplish anything a stronger body is harder to hurt and what you you know what you don't see is you we see athletes getting hurt at the top top end of what's going on, and then you say oh, therefore oh my god that must be horribly dangerous. No, what you're seeing is the the equivalent of somebody who drives a NASCAR who's the best driver on the planet, who happens to be driving at 200 miles an hour and on the 500th lap has a wreck. It, it, Okay, when you push to the absolute breaking point of the human body, be it doing anything, be it mentally, be it running, be it lifting, be it whatever, yeah, you incur a little bit more danger. But until that point, okay, who's likely more likely to survive? The guy who sits at a desk 40 hours a week, doesn't do much of anything, doesn't carry an essential amount of muscle, 
and a guy jumps on him and beats him in an alley, or me, who's more likely to survive it? A guy who legitimately has spent time building every structure of his body. Okay, my bones. I, I actually had a doctor do this, and actually somebody, a guy, a scientist wanted to study my son, to on that. I had a doctor told me that, uh, that you couldn't measure the density in the, my bones from the a bone scan because it would be off their chart. I had, a do- <laughs> I had a scientist walk up and tell my son, your tendons should not be that big. I would like to literally measure and study them. Okay, I have spent time making my human vehicle into an upgraded version. Therefore, I can do the things that you think are going to hurt normal people. Okay, if a guy had never lifted anything and you forced him at gunpoint to pick up a 250-pound rock, he might hurt himself. But chances are he was halfway hurt to begin with. If you do a smart level of training and you do things specifically to make your bones better, your muscles better, your tendons, your ligaments better, your balance better, you make yourself less susceptible to injury versus more susceptible to injury. They're going on the backyard warrior thing of, Oh, my God, I worked all week, but then I went outside and I lifted this bag of cement and my back hurt for six weeks. Yeah, because your back was screwed before you got there. My back is ten times stronger than yours. Therefore, I can get away with lifting a cement thing and not be a big deal, or I can lift something that's five times heavier than you can lift and walk around with it and not hurt. See, people don't get that. I, you know, I actually probably experience less pain than the average American. For sure. For sure. I think you're dead right. The world is safe, you know, to, to some extent. Now, lighting stuff on fire is a whole other situation. <laughs> That's <laughs> You can only, you know, bulletproof so far. Fire, I haven't, I haven't quite figured out how to bulletproof against fire yet. I'm working on it. But, <laughs> but you see what I mean? I totally agree, man. You, the harder you train, the more you're um, prepared for the rigors of life. And not only that, the greater vitality. Like, see, here's the thing: people talk about, "Oh my God, that's so much work. You're, you burn up so much energy. I would never have enough energy to do what you're doing." Yeah, you know why you don't have enough energy to do what I do? Because you don't do what I do. I am creating a body that builds its own energy. Therefore, I feel like doing crazy stuff all the time. You know what I'm saying? In other words, they're like, "Oh my God, you're so crazy." No, I, I, I'm running around in a vehicle that's running on high octane because I'm creating a vehicle that creates that kind of energy. Therefore, I feel like doing wild stuff all the time, and my testosterone's constantly kicking. And I'm, you know, it, it, I you have to create the need for your body to have a thing, and that goes for energy, that goes for for curiosity, even I think that goes for all those stuff. Is the same as you know, people talk about um, you you work a muscle, therefore it grows. You created that need for your body to build extra muscle. Well, the same goes for energy. The same goes for building a structure. If I slightly expose my structure to things that stress it. It gets better. It gets stronger. The better my structure is, the less likely I am to get hurt. Yeah, we adapt. And that's so interesting about your bones and your son's uh, tendons and ligaments. Um, yeah, they, our cells adapt to force imposed on them. I mean, that's gravity. That's why when you go into space, um, you, right you, away. You detrain because you're, you're yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So literally, you are changing your biology and creating uh, a, a different upgraded person, like you said. And I'd like to say a little bit about vitality. Um, if I'm not uh, mistaken, you're into uh, Qigong yes, sir. and energy work. Can you go a little bit into that and how you um, use that in your practice? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's the simple. Now, I, 
Okay, I have experience with that from martial arts. I have experience with it from just study. I, 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 my formal schooling actually is massage therapy, which deals a lot with muscular. With and if you look at massage therapy, you see, you know, there. Okay, there's basic training in massage therapy, and then there's probably 25 different specialties you can go to, and everything from things that believe they're truly science based to things that are super esoteric based, and everything in between. But I'll tell you where I really started to believe that. I, I saw some of it from martial arts training, but when I first started working with people in massage therapy, I got – you could just literally – if you spend your with all day with your hands on somebody, you, your hands will walk away vibrating purely from the energetics of it. And I started to study, and somebody kind of explained a thing, um, to, a thing to me that really sort of made it pop in my mind. Actually, it's a quote from Deepak Chopra about being the – about metaphysics, and it's about that – energy that what you see as as physical reality as physical matter is actually energy representing in a specific form and you're exactly the same thing so you and i are the, the actually the biggest thing in between us even in our matter is the space between the molecules and the biggest thing is those those molecules are actually blips of energy that are arranged in a very specific way to become physical matter and thoughts run right in that same thing. Thoughts generate those impulses, those electrical impulses, those energetic impulses. And if you can control your energetic matter, which is what you are by thought, then you can begin to control and do a lot of wild stuff. You really can do that. And I started to do really a very formless practice, and I'll tell you why. I watched a, 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 probably the guy's best strongman as far as a performing strongman in the world. Uh, his name's Dennis Rogers, friend, close friend of mine. Amazing, amazing guy. They build him forever as pound for pound world's strongest man. Guy could do one finger pinky chin ups, uh, one uh, one arm one pinky chin ups at 135 pounds. Could could curl his body weight basically at 130. One arm curl it. I mean, he's just insane. He's a couple time world arm wrestling champion. The I, I, first time I met the guy, I watched him tear a deck of cards into eight pieces. <laughs> at like 11.30 at night in a hotel room. It's, it's insane. I watched him take a, a bicycles now, bad to the bone cards, and eight pieces. Bang, 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 bang. Dude, that's no joke. But here's what I got from that, and, and here's where it kind of all melded for me. Um, is, okay, I grew up in powerlifting. If you watch powerlifters psych up, what powerlifters are doing, most of them are doing a, a, a hard style Eastern Qigong. They don't know that they're doing it, but that's what they're doing. They're breathing. They're drawing in energy. They're creating and harnessing emotion, aggression. So, so Qigong comes from that place, but it also, in real Eastern thought, comes from a very soft, very calm place. <coughs> and what brought it to me and changed my mind about that is watching Dennis perform. And Dennis got into that from performing because, like I was talking about before, as a performer, I can't spend five minutes psyching up and coming off like a raging bull in front of a bunch of preschoolers to lift a big rock or to press somebody overhead or do whatever. I need to be able to walk up, be calm, take one breath, and lift. And I started to work on that, and uh, uh, Peter, Peter Ragnar, as a friend of mine, also kind of influenced that for me. Um, and really what I started to do is creating a formless energy that I've worked on for a while. And all I would think about is literally, you ever watch somebody walk into a room and they light the room up or watch somebody walk into a room and the room gets angry because they're angry or you walk by somebody and you can literally without touching them but you literally feel that they're there that's the energy that circles around you and to some extent i believe you can control that and if you simply breathe i i, I use the most formless possible simplest way of doing it all i i use like a i visualize a giant white bubble around myself and then pull it in move it and then what i did to for strength 
is I would visualize that, breathe, be calm, pull that into the center of my body, and then push it directly into whatever I was doing. And I practiced that for a while, and what happened is I got to where I just automatically did it. I didn't have to think it happening. It just happened. It just... So are you channeling this energy, let's say, into the weight, or are you driving it into the ground with your... Depends your on... Depends on what I'm doing. So I spent some time in the in the original, and now I don't even think. Now I just allow it to happen. Okay, but in the original, when I was learning and thinking about it, I spent time uh, doing it where I would think about getting into the ground, where I would think about pushing it into the weight or pushing it into an object, like for instance, if I'm punching something, and or I would think about literally putting it into the particular muscle that you're using, which is sort of an iron shirt, kind of a different Eastern philosophies. Think about that way. Um, and now I don't even think now I just allow, now I just feel like that is kind of, I, now I, what I, tr what I wanted to do was to create a completely melded practice so that in the beginning, I purposely would like between sets. That's what I would do. I would do a set. Think about that. Breathe, meditate. Think about that. Do the next set. Now I just walk and breathe and don't even, I don't even think and just allow whatever. So I feel like my what I've done is taught my body to direct it wherever it needs to be directed. So it's unconscious now. It's unconscious. Yeah. Now it's unconscious. Awesome. Now before it was more conscious and now it's unconscious. And I, what I found was number one, like I feel like the Western style psyching is very useful because you allow you begin to learn to control things, but it's also a little dangerous. Um, number one because it's a blood pressure raising kind of a thing. Okay. Uh, and for strongman feats, that can be good, can be bad, just depends on the, in, the, the intensity and the duration of the feat. But here's what I, here's where I think that's really, it's awesome because it allows you to learn and do those things. And a lot of young guys really need to do that. They, they need to focus their aggression. But here's what you're doing. You got to remember this: every time you practice, both physically and mentally, you're creating a Pavlovian response. You're creating a habit. And if your habit is always that to be strong, you have to be mad. Yeah. Then every time you get strong, you get mad. Versus that, if your habit that. is that all I need to do to be at my top end strength is take a breath and go. Or all I need to do to be at my top end strength is take a breath and go. And I'm conditioned myself for doing it a few thousand times to be happy when I'm doing it. That's... Uh, that, to me, that's the greatest top end of the mental training of this whole thing, and that's the most unifying to mind, body, spirit. And I've actually found a weirder thing. I'm stronger when I laugh than I am when I'm mad. <laughs> now, I and now I have, yeah, and so usually if you hear me start laughing and it comes out a little bit maniacal, that's when I really am at the top of my deal. That's when I'm... <laughs> yeah, but I think you're... I think this is something huge that people don't talk about enough. No. Now, I, I was younger. I was one of those people who, before training, I had to take, like, three scoops of pre-workout, mm -hmm. put, put my headphones in, get the right song on. I had to sit there and mm -hmm. change it. Everything had to be right. I had to get angry, get mad in order to work out. Now, I've realized that I got dependent on that yep. um, perfect state. Yep. And that's why I went the opposite way. I don't drink coffee anymore. When I'm not feeling it, almost the environment's crazy. There's people running around. It's crowded. I actually appreciate that. Now I'm not in the optimal state, and I have to get it done anyway right. and focus. Right. And 
that just means that when you are in the game or things are going well, you're ready for the, the obstacles and the variables that come your way. So yeah, getting dependent on training, you know, you're not going to have an ammonia cap there every time right, right. in the real world. Right. Well, so, one of the one of the guys I worked out with and, and and I didn't I really could not I was not ready to re, to understand the wisdom of this. And I got nothing against that, okay? I got nothing against, you know, um I I don't I think today because of the conditioning I've done, I don't think I could actually squeeze out more by being angry. I, I don't think that would I don't actually think that would even work anymore. But when I was young, that's how I did it. And that's how I learned to do it from the competitive lifters that I was doing. And, okay, I'll give you an example. It, like, uh, you've seen guys slap each other as part of a powerlifting thing. Dude, we did that. And first time a guy did that, I was, you want to talk about something that puts you in the moment and wide-eyed and lit up. And I immediately, the set after that, I was I was supposed to squat 405 for, I was supposed to try a couple of reps with it. And it was the first time I'd ever tried it. And I was supposed to stop at five, and I did six or seven. And was just, I, 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 okay, because it was the first ma massive adrenaline dump and massive focus thing I really, really got. But now I can do that without the negative impact and the negative aspects. And I, and I really started to think about training in that life thing. And what this guy said to me was, you know, that what you guys are doing is cool, but, like, I work out and, like, okay – if I'm outside and something heavy falls on one of my kids, I don't want to have to run inside and get a belt and knee wraps and ammonia caps and, and, and say, all right, hold on, don't die for the next 20 minutes while I get ready to do this. And, and it doesn't work in sport. It doesn't work in self-defense. It doesn't work in day-to-day -day life. It doesn't work in emergency training if you can't really just sort of call up at will what you do. And I actually think there are – like I purposely have done some things experimentally in training to – to make things less than optimal. Like I have, and I don't do it all the time, but I do it because I want, sometimes I want to prove to myself that I can do it. Um, I trained after three day fast. I trained after not sleeping for 24 to 36 hours. Uh, I trained at different times of the day. Um, you know, at, at different, at, at inconvenient times or at inconvenient, um, where I didn't, where it wouldn't have been a physical optimal thing for me to do. You know what I'm saying? Like go walk outside and like you know been up, been awake for five minutes total and out the door, did something. Not and and you don't have to make it crazy and hard or whatever. But I think in doing that, you knock down barriers. Like a, a, I'll tell you something else that guy said to me about that. My grandmother, one of my grandmothers, introduced me to a guy who lived next door to her was like an 80 year old marine when I was like 16 or 17. I was playing football, and he was and he. He mouthed off to me about about you know eh, athletics. They call we call those guys jockstrappers. They didn't ever really you know they. What he was saying was, they felt like they had to have the perfect conditions. I had my pregame meal three hours ahead of the game. I did this ahead of the game versus a guy who looks at it from a marine perspective, a guy who looks at it from a qigong perspective, a guy who looks at it from a workman perspective of. This is what I do. I don't have to get excited about it. I can fall out at 3 a.m. and do it if I have to. I can do, you know, I can perform multiple times a day, or I can get up in the middle of the night and be awesome if I need to. Or I think there's so much more to mentally explore with that. And I think after, because you get into it from this very formal, ritualized way of sport, but then it becomes more of a life pervasive thing. At least it did for me. In that, I don't want to be strong in sport. I want to be strong in every moment, everywhere, all the time period no matter what it is 
and therefore I, my mind allows me to be. It doesn't matter if you wake me up at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, well, if you wake me up at three o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to be happy. But <laughs> you better be very careful how you do it. But <laughs> but I can still fall out and do something. You know, I don't have to say, "All right, hold on, I got to go get my pre-workout." No, I got to give me thirty minutes to get ready and do. Uh, you know. You can just do amazing things, and you can be. And I actually think you can be in a very near optimal state, even at times when you shouldn't be. Well, but I think even in terms of competition, it's actually useful to get out of that optimal state. Mm. So when you're in your off season and you're, you know, not training with the um, knee wraps and mm -hmm. the weightlifting shoes, and you're doing it without the pre workout and all these things, you, it physical changes are happening but yeah like you said emotional mental and i think that's like behind the bulgarian weightlifting system when they would just wake them up at middle of the night and say do a max mm -hmm. and then do it again and do it again they're just mentally getting tough right and their body their body and mind are adapting together and then you know leading up to the competition you peak right. and you could do the um optimization leading up to the actual competition but that mental emotional training is is so valuable and i think that will help anyone especially a competitive athlete absolutely um, yeah, no, and i think we'll, like i what i want to do is i want to be closer to those to that peak all the time without having to create the emotional response that you would need for a game day response and i think you can get there with that kind of training that's where i want that's where i want to be right there um i, I actually I was at a seminar with pavel satsalane one time and and I, and they were talking about um Okay, go to your max, uh, and and it was go to X percentage of your max, and and I kind of had a little theoretical discussion with him about, okay, hang on, what does that mean? So they, they they talked about in the Bulgarian system, it's a max for the day. Okay, what they mean is a non-emotionally charged walk up and do a heavy heavy lift, a max for the day, and you might fail with five more pounds, you might not, but you don't spend twenty minutes psyching, you just walk in and go to work kind of a thing. And I think over a period of time, it is exactly what you think. It's toughening. It's creating all your body focused in the right direction without having to create that top-end charge. And I think, therefore, you do get a better percentage out of it. But the one thing I think you get is less. Okay, so a guy who doesn't do this very often but uses a massive, aggressive psyching system might be able to walk in and do 80% of his max with no emotional charge up. And then 100% with a 20 minutes of rage and whatever in the headphones and blah, 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 or whatever. Whereas a guy who does this all the time can do 90% five minutes before breakfast, five minutes after breakfast, five minutes after midnight. Now, their top end, and probably his top end max would be better because, like, okay, Slim Farman, the old-time strongman, used to talk about that, about taking the governor off, about we, we have built-in safety mechanisms that really stop us from doing what we truly are the top end, and a lot of the training that I do is actually based on knocking a lot of that down. It's making your body feel like it truly can present the effort. It's getting more out of a muscle than you think it ought to be able to get out of itself. Um, I think that's a, a big deal. You're In doing that kind of training, you're getting closer and closer to limitless mindset without having to uh, create a – you don't have to hulk out. You just are the hulk. You just – Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I experimented, but with uh, squatting uh, every day mm -hmm. to a, a max that wasn't grinding or wasn't uh, in the 95 yeah. or 90 above that. Um, and yeah, there were, I want to say two months into it, I would just go up to the bar and I would be right up there with the max without even thinking. It's just 
the feeling of it doesn't create anxiety. It's just right. another day. Right. You're tempering the mind and the body. Right. Um, and but I wanted to ask you, uh, as far as training for longevity, um, training for for the future, you know, for health. Okay. What do you think uh, people could do? Some basic things that would change their mind that training for the long run and having that vitality. I think one of the first things is you got to make this an absolute habit. Okay, like it isn't a, this. It isn't a thought of whether I'm going to train. It's just um, when am I going to do it today? It's not if I'm going to do it. It's just okay. I have to do this, 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 and this. I'm going to train at this moment. There's no, I think it has to be that kind of a habit, and it needs to be the idea of a lifetime habit. In other words, I intend to be doing exactly what I'm doing today at whatever level is possible until till the day I leave this planet. I have no thought because I believe that this is maintenance and repair. Just like when you eat, it provides energy to get through the next 24 hours or the next whatever. This is the energy to get through the next whatever of that whole thing. Um, I think I think you are so much better from an age standpoint to be stronger. People say that to me all the time. You lift so heavy, you're going to be crippled, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let me tell you what I've observed. I've observed 80-year-old guys who did absolutely nothing physical in their life. And if you follow the mindset of be careful, don't hurt anything, don't do it. Guess what? At 80, they ended up with arthritis and problems and pain and they couldn't get up. And I know 80-year-olds who were like evil freaking Knievel met, you know, uh, Tarzan, and they lifted crazy things, and they did lift crazy things, but their bodies were very strong. And when they got to the end of whatever age that was, say the same age, if they for some reason had been injured to the point that they hadn't to stop training, they ended up at the same place. So I would rather live as hard, as long as possible till I got there. But I actually think you're better off, and this is proven in, in non-regular training people, in that the body can still get stronger. The stronger you are, the less susceptible you are to deterioration-based diseases. Okay? Mm-hmm. And guess what happens with people with arthritis at, in their old age? When you stop moving, you hurt, and you lose the ability to move. Or if you get arthritis and keep moving, you hurt. You hurt a little less than the average guy who does stop moving, and you still keep the ability to do stuff. So, listen, at some point, something bad will happen to everybody. It just does. That's how we, nobody gets out of this alive. But you want to be the best you can possibly be. You better train as hard as possible up until that point, with the exception of maybe not going to the NASCAR example before. Of if you drive 200 miles an hour for 500 laps, you're going to get a ding on the fender. Okay. Now, that being said, personally, I lean toward a couple of things, okay? I lean toward some type of a heavy lift every day, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the same one. I feel like you need to concentrate on on, on a heavy lift, something for your legs, something for your back, something for your pushing muscles. doesn't necessarily matter what it was. You need to pick the one that's good for you. So if you... So if I tell you to squat like an Olympic lifter, but that particular style of squat leaves you barely able to walk versus maybe you squat like a power lifter and you're fine, then you need to squat like a power lifter and not worry about whether somebody else's thing is, or maybe you squat like I do. I do almost all my stuff from the bottom. It fits me. It helps me with the other stuff I want to do. I don't walk away from it hurting. Does it matter if, if you and I, and if we pick six guys and we all squat with six different styles and you test our legs, and it, is it really, are you really going to be able to tell? No, 
but if I force myself to fit somebody else's mold and that mold isn't biomechanically correct for me and it grinds my joints and knees and issues, that's a problem later on. Find your own way, do something heavy, but do it with a recovery in mind. And here's what I mean with a recovery. I don't mean necessarily day-to-day -day recovery, but I do mean that. But what I mean is inflammation-based recovery. Okay, so I think there's recovery as in am I so I say I squat every Monday, am I ready to go again every Monday and then lift heavier? So I did 700 this week, can I do 705 next week? I'm recovered. But if I'm not recovered to the point that I can still go up in weight, but I hurt more, or I'm creating a, a stack of damage of inflammation that keeps going higher and higher and higher then something about what I'm doing is wrong, something about the volume, something about the intensity, something. So you have to, I think, in a longevity base, you have to consider not just regular recovery, you know, are you sleeping, are you eating, are you, but are you recovering from an inflammation standpoint? Now, that may be some other things as far as, like, possibly massage or definitely maybe cold heat or, or whatever, or maybe it's nutrition, maybe you're not recovering from that particular standpoint. I do think, however, it's the exercise. Um, a lot of it has to do with it. Is what you're doing in your life adding inflammation to your body in some way or another, and are you recovering in some way so that, that that inflammatory level of pain or whatever is staying down or keeping down? Okay, so when you peak for a meet, you're, a lot of times you're going up in strength. You're also going up in inflammation, which is why you can hit that peak and then you can't deal with it anymore. On a lifetime longevity basis, I don't want to do that. I want to go... I want to go recover and be strong and stay strong and be strong forever, but I also want that inflammation to be at a manageable or lower level. For me, that goes with lifting heavy but not super death, you know, max all the time. Okay, but I generally go every heavy, whatever I'm doing heavy, I cycle on a seven to ten day basis. So if I squat, maybe I'll squat again in ten days. Deadlift, maybe ten days later. It just depends or whatever. But some type of heavy lift most days of the week and some type of an endurance thing. And I do think from a heavy, health and heavy, you need uh, um, health and longevity, a couple of things there. You need cardiovascular power. Can't get around that. Has to be there. Most of your big lifters, that's why I dropped so much body weight after I got, I got to my top end of absolute max strength and was nearly 400 pounds, and then I lost, lost 100 pounds. And I did that because you can only maintain that weight for so long without the health problems. And you, you just get, it doesn't matter whether you're healthy when you do it, it doesn't matter how strong you are when you do it, your system has a tipping point above which this is bigger than we can possibly support from a heart, lung, kidney, liver, pancreas situation. You've got to maintain whatever is the healthiest for you. For me, there are three types of cardio that you need to do, and you need to do them regularly. You need to be real intense short cardio, real intense long cardio, and then just basic walking level, um, long, slow type cardio. I personally believe in rotating them and not over hammering any one, but I do do the short intense one much more often. But I do it in a way that like it's more of an energy building thing. Usually, I usually don't take it to the absolute, you know, let's die from this today um, to let's be up and ready to go and I can do this and now I want to go conquer the world versus now I want to go in and sleep. Yeah. Um, kind of a thing. And I think because I think you need to go to the edge but you don't need to do it very often. And I think by not doing it very often, you keep your hormones and inflammation, your hormones up and your inflammation down. Um, I love that. Uh, but what, I love what you said about comparing uh, movement to your diet. Mm -hmm. And I really think there's a parallel there because as far as longevity is concerned, you need um, 
your meat and potatoes, which is strength, you know, muscle mass. You need the the vitamins and the minerals, which is maybe mobility in these uh, uh, restorative recovery type movements as well. Um, yeah, all those together. Longevity, and I feel better when I do some sort of strength, heavy lift. Um, I think just your nervous system and your hormonally, you you do feel better. Absolutely, that frequent input. Uh, so I I love that. That's great, great advice. I do I do um, think you did mention one thing. I think that most people skip that we talk about now more than ever. Um, and we talk about it because, again, maybe with the emphasis of CrossFit and, and that has a tendency to take people to the intensity level where they hurt and then they need to do mobility and they need to do flexibility and stuff where we have always known we need to do that but we don't do it. I think that's another thing. And I think, see, the, I think you're putting the same emphasis on how heavy you lift as well as how well you move, how flexible you are, how good your joints function, how pain-free you are. All of those things need to be that same emphasis, not just – you know, short term, you might emphasize one thing because you got a particular goal or whatever. But long term, you need to play with how often you do things, how hard you do things, what movements of anything you do, what stimulates your nervous system versus what's annihilate, what annihilates it, and what helps you move better versus what helps you, what makes you move bad. Um, all those things are little variables to play with. And you can keep on the top end of those things all at the same time. And I do really do think that's another important thing, mobility. Like, if you ever watched... Most people, again, they say, if you watch my training on Instagram or Facebook, because you're only seeing the feet of strength I particularly did that day, you're probably going to see it totally random. What you're not going to see is, but if you look at it on a longer stretch, you're going to see a squat, you're going to see a press, you're going to see a pull, you're going to see a balance movement, you're going to see a coordination movement, you're going to see multiple endurance movements, you're going to see a bit, uh, strongman movement, you're going to see grip movements, you're going to see mobility, you're going to see flexibility, and you're going to see it all cycled on a regular basis. Everything gets an emphasis, no left out part. That's the big – I think that's the big, one of the big keys to the top end of everything. And, that, and the top end of everything all at the same time for the longest time possible with the greatest possible benefits of health and not living in pain and doing the best you can possibly do. And I think a lot of people nowadays who are in the functional world are getting away from strength. Mm -hmm. It's not as – is cool to do anymore. They want the mobility and the pretty movement. And like you said, we have to think of strength as, as longevity, as health. It's not just a ego thing, a, a masculine thing. It is what we need um, to thrive. Right. And yeah, people have kind of seem to be getting away from that. I agree. Um, I agree. That's a whole. And I think it's a mistake. And, and, but I, and I think it's also a mistake in this way. Um, you can keep and have strength with such a small amount of training. Why, why, why not do it? Why not be okay? So, say you want to be able to do a quadruple tornado, you know, kick and then one finger swing off a ring into some kind of a back whatever gymnastic thing that looks amazingly artistic. But would you be better off to be able to deadlift, double or triple body weight and do that at the same time? Uh, the time is going to stop right now. Okay. So Man, Bud Jeffries was dropping knowledge bombs, guys. Killing it. I'm back on here.
Yeah, sorry about that, but it gives us like an hour twenty time limit. Um, okay. So do you want to continue? Uh, I think you were, we were talking about the move away from strength that we see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now you know you, you kind of have to quantify strength in different types of strength. For instance, you know, gym like gym. That's always been a big thing, and that was the kind of the movement in gymnastics. You know, gym dentists are super strong on a on a body weight basis, yeah. and super. You know, but I think you can have. We were talking about you know people moving to that like super artistic flowy movement. And if you ever watch the stuff that I do, I do whatever level of that I can do on a on a fairly regular basis. I think you can have both, and I think you need to have both, and I think you're a better human if you can flowingly, artistically move in a coordinated way and squat or deadlift double or triple your body weight. And I think you can have both without the problem. Um, I, I, I think that we, we're, what we're conditioned to see, and this is something I've talked about within – so my original work, a, a lot of it was in, in combining multiple types of training. Combining lifting, heavy lifting, barbells with strongman and high rep body weight stuff, which I was really into fighting at that time, and that was my whole original emphasis in the first book that I wrote. That was the whole, that was it. That was why. Um, but what people didn't get, and, and I've talked to people about this all the time, is what people try to do and the mistake they try to make is they want to train like an elite gymnast and an elite powerlifter at the same time with no with no conjoining of the system, but, you know, this is my system and this is my system, and I'm just going to keep them both together, which is 27 hours a week of training. And, like, it, dude, first of all, who has time for that? And second, there's a reason those guys are super specialists in their particular deal, and that's all you can possibly recover from. The reason Lance Armstrong rode a bike 100 miles a week or 100 miles a day for 18 times a week is because that's the most he could possibly get and humanly recover from. And the reason Ronnie Coleman trained two hours a day, six days a week to that way because that's the most he could possibly recover from with that one emphasis. But you can get 80 to 90, sometimes even 100% of the capability of each of the specialists of those systems with a very small amount. Mm -hmm. With a very, very small amount. Of, uh, like uh, something I've talked about is this is, okay, you see, all right, when you equalize everything for drugs and equipment and all that stuff, especially if you look at the old-time Olympic lifters, if you, especially if you equalize for the percentage for drugs, if you look at the guys from the 50s, they were training three, four times a week. They were doing clean and jerk twice a week, snatch twice a week, squat twice a week, some kind of other pulls and other stuff. And then you've got the Bulgarians, okay, who trained four times a day and seven days a week and the whole thing or whatever. They didn't really get that much stronger. The smaller amount of training really paid just about the same amount of dividends. I would rather train a little less smarter, be able to do it my whole life without having to take an anabolic. Now, I don't have a problem with people do it. I just don't I don't believe personally I'm not going to do it. That's not and I don't think you should you should need to do it to maintain your life. That I say I believe the same like that's actually kind of the reason I eat the way I eat and, and think the way I think about things is I don't want to have to if I have to really put it all in a powder and I, I have to go to GNC to live, eh, I don't like that idea. I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to get the best food, the best training, the best whatever I can without it being something I have to necessarily be contrived in a factory that can only be concentrated and supplemented a certain way, and I, I can't possibly recover any other way. If you can't live in a relatively natural way, I think you, you made a. Kind of a, a mistake in in the the way you set things up, but like in that whole artistic movement thing, 
I think your artistic movement is made better when you're stronger. And your strength is made better when your artistic movement is better. And you can have uh, – what I was setting up to say with that is you can have that strength, dude, with very little training. I squatted 1,000 pounds. Leading up to that, I squatted 900 pounds by training five single repetition sets once every 10 days. <laughs> wow. That was it. Now, I moved from 900 to 1,000 pounds. I was actually training every day, but I was only training about 10 minutes of squats a day. Mm. And again, it was only about uh, one or two warm-up sets and about four single repetition sets. That's it. You don't need a massive volume to get superhumanly strong. And in fact, you by using a relatively small volume, you don't add a lot of inflammation. You don't beat anything up. You stay relatively fresh all the time. And if I can do that, and okay, maybe it takes me a few months longer than a guy who's training 18 times a week. But if I do that and I'm not hurt and I can maintain it for a long period of time and basically be fresh all the time, I think I'm winning. And I think you can do that with – okay, my deal is this. So you want to be Mr. Artistic Movement. You want to, you want to be Mr. Mobility. Okay, go do five singles in a deadlift one day a week. Not going to hurt your mobility, not going to hurt any of that or whatever. Probably going to protect you and help you move better and help you be stronger and help you do – I trained a kid one time who was not super fast, but he beat a guy who ran a 4.5.40 for pure speed in lateral shuffle drills in, in – uh, in the, the te- you know, a lateral test, a sprint one way, turn direction, sprint back or whatever. He could beat this guy in the change-ups and the turnaround because he didn't have the pure physical wiring for the straightforward speed, but he had so much strength, he could manipulate his body to change direction so much better, he, he, he got better. You can build your body's ability to use its nerves to the absolute max by having the greatest strength. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- and even mobility, when you're strong in those ranges you have, that's a lot better than just being able to show off where you can go uh, flexibility right. passively like yoga. Like I've seen you in some yoga-like poses, but you have a bunch of weight in your hands <laughs> or your back. And that's just safer being in those in ranges where you are kind of liable to getting hurt. And uh, I also love what you said about getting in that, 10% um, strength level of these elite people because I always tell people we seem to look at the top athletes in in our society as who to mimic, who to train. And I want to do this elite power lifters training program. Um, but that, that 80% skill, anything past that people don't seem to realize is a whole other level. Getting to that 80%, 60% competency is fairly fairly easy to do with mm-hmm. investment. But that top 10% that separates the you know college level from the pro level or, mm-hmm. or Olympic level is a lifetime dedication. Right. I mean, you're in there yeah. every day. So why not just get fairly competent at as much as you can instead of investing all that time, unless you're competing or you want to go – Right. Well, and, and like from my mind, though, you to me, I think you can also um, – I totally agree with that with one caveat. Don't mentally limit yourself because 
and uh, okay, like Einstein, you know, Einstein had a quote about if you test everybody's intelligence the same way, but if you test a monkey the same way you test a fish, it'll always think it's stupid. Is that all? You know, um, I think that's one of the reasons that competition is wonderful, but competition is limiting, and everybody has some physical gift that they could probably be amazing at if they're willing to simply work hard enough. Mm. Um, I think that's a big issue with that. I think you could, you know what I'm saying? In other words, I think um, if you look at powerlifters as an example, guys with long arms are generally great deadlifters. Guys with short arms are generally much better bench pressers, and guys with middle leverages generally tend to be better squatters, but they're not really quite the same as – you see what I mean? It, it's sort of – now, powerlifting is fair because it it balances. So if you're a great deadlifter but a lousy bench presser, but you – you compete against a guy who's a great bench presser and a lousy deadlifter. You, you see what I mean? You, it's a fair. But what I'm saying with that is you, you have inside you probably the ability to be physically incredibly stronger than you think at something without a massive amount of training. Now, that last few percent like you're talking about, that last few percent that, that's the all-time world record holders is guys who are willing to die for that particular thing. Guys who like I know dudes who have given up, and I think this is dumb. I think this is a dumb. I think this actually holds you back because they're so dedicated to training that they lose their wife, they lose their kids, they lose everything else that doesn't. You know, I know guys who've thrown their whole life away on that, and I've been at that place for moments in my life. I've been at that place where I, I was willing to die to do what I'm gonna them doing. But you can get right in that range without go into that level, especially that level of sacrifice um, without it being that kind of a, a thing. And you you really don't... Uh, I'll give you an example of somebody I wanted to mention before. Uh, this guy was a powerlifter. His name was Mark Chalet. Okay? Mark Chalet squatted 1,000 pounds in competition on a similar training to what I did, on just single rep sets once a week. Uh, everybody could do that if they just spent enough time and years and figured out the best form for themselves and the best, that's a totally doable type of training that you might be able to go so far into, into further than you think. I think the only thing I, I disagree with what you're saying, and I to, again, totally agree competency at everything. And, but it depends on what you want. Now I have a very strength bias. So like, you know, there's some gymnastic stuff that's really probably would take me that kind of, I'm going to die to do this dedication to get there that I don't care about doing I'm, back in so pick the things you care about huh <laughs> i saw you doing handstands i think you could do it <laughs> it's maybe it's possible there's what i mean though because i learned it from lifting i, I think there's just about anything i can do just about anything and i don't mean that to, i don't mean that as a self-aggrandizing way to say that i'm saying that you are capable if you problem solve well enough to figure out what it takes to get there you, you just are. You're capable of doing that. Your physical body is capable of doing things that most people have, are. It's out. The only thing stopping them is whether they believe they can do it or not. Mm -hmm. I, I think with enough with enough training, and and and, I, and maybe that means from a couple of years standpoint, but not a lot of volume, just the right mindset and intensity, you could take almost any human on the planet without uh, having been born with a structure that's totally incapable. And push them to a double body weight or squat or double body weight deadlift without it totally achievable, given them believing it's possible. Mm -hmm. See Definitely. what I mean? Like I think, and you could also push that to, okay, I'm 300 pounds and I do one arm handstands on a fairly regular basis. Most people say that's totally impossible. You're just a freak. No, I just believe I can do it. 
I, I just believe I can do it, and I problem solved well enough, and I prepped enough to be able to handle it. Uh, so I want to lead into that. Uh, we're talking about belief. Um, I feel like belief really matters when there's conviction and when it leads to action. That's when beliefs mm -hmm. really become an important part of your life. Uh, and I know that uh, you're a minister also. Um, so I want to talk about your faith and how that um, affects um, the physical part of your life and these things we're talking about as far as goals. Uh, could you talk well, a little bit? Well, and uh, sure. Uh, you know, dude, ask me anything you want. I'm, you know, I, now I'm uh, okay. I'm actually an ordained Baptist minister, but I'm a pretty good, pretty well in the hooligan camp, pretty much as far as like a. I'm kind of a savage for Baptists, so it's not really that kind of a thing. Like I, uh, I truly, totally believe in God, but I, I'm, I'm a non-denominational person. I don't believe in any of that. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe God loves us enough to spend special energy to to build you special and specific to you. And I believe if God did that to gift you, then God gave you the ability to do some amazing things. And I think we're responsible to use everything that we have to be able to go as far as we're as possible. Now, the Bible talks about a parable of the talents where people were given a certain amount of money to invest and they didn't do, and they somebody hid it and just said, well, I, I, I don't really want to try. And somebody went out and invested and did everything and, and multiplied their their abilities. I think every one of us has that. I think it's just, I think we're societally conditioned to hide from things that God intends for us to do. And I believe in believing that God, if God loves me and God cares about me, why can't I do what I want to do? Why can't I believe in those things? Why can't I believe, if God believes in me that much, why don't I believe in myself? In fact, maybe it's wrong for me not to believe in myself to the point that I can do, that I take myself as far as humanly possible and above and beyond that. And I believe that that God does help you in some of those things, in some of those moments and situations, and, and and I believe that God created all of us with a purpose and with specific talents. I happen to have come to strength relatively easy, but some of the other things, I think God gives you talents and weaknesses because he wants you to take those talents as far as possible, but he also wants you to take those weaknesses and make them as strong as possible. And I think that we're responsible to do that. I think that God cares about us to the point to make those things available to happen. And I think most of us are just living in a prison of not believing we're able to do that or a prison of not believing that God wants us to do that or whatever societal rules we're afraid to break because we're afraid somebody might laugh at us or afraid somebody might think we're, you know, I mean, dude, half the people in the world who know me think I'm totally insane. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I, I don't care. I, that's a total, you know. They're like, how, why in the world would you do that? You know, listen, I believe I've been given a vehicle to live this life through, and I'm going to take that vehicle and do as crazy of things as I can possibly do. And the same with your mind and the same thing with your spirit. I believe you're going to have a long life. You're going to have a, a peaceful life. And that's a big thing I think uh, that faith really gives you is like – I mentioned this earlier. I know particular lifters who uh, sold his soul basically to, to become a world champion. And in doing that, went through a couple of marriages and divorces and kids and, and, and stuff happens. I'm not, I'm not judging that in any way. He specifically said, I screwed that up because I was so dedicated to this, whereas maybe if I'd have had a little bit better thought process in how I dealt with people, how I loved people, what I committed to that, I actually believe that the peacefulness in his life would have created a better athletic ability because if you're saying I'm going to train no matter what and I don't care what kind of chaos it creates, well, you've got to deal with the aftermath of the chaos versus if you love people and help them, 
the peacefulness it creates gives you then there's no barrier to it. why then why do I, I don't have to deal with the other fires I've lit in my life I can go light something on fire and throw an axe at it at home and nobody's going to have give me a problem with it because it, does that make sense is that man that makes that makes total sense um, I'm just thinking as far as um, we're talking about recovery and stress and emotions and you know getting your your house in order your life and having this practice it's the body and the mind are connected and you know the spirit it's all it's all one so to think that you could sacrifice the rest to devote to one it's gonna come back and bite you in the ass i think that's gonna have consequences it's gonna have huge consequences and it's i think it holds you back i think if you had to set your life up to make things as the best you can possibly make them and and i mean that in a top-end perspective of what of how like dude I love my wife more than anything on the planet and she's been married to the craziest man walking for 22 freaking years but I love her she knows that period I'll do anything in the world for her I don't create problems for her or I try not to other than occasionally having to bandage something or you know whatever or that kind of you see I'm, she's sitting across from me so I'm, I'm trying to make her laugh but um, what I mean by that is, dude, you you can have every bit of this. There's we we're conditioned to believe that almost all the success stories we see is, oh, I sacrificed, I threw my family away so I could run a Fortune 500 company. Dude, you don't have to do that. You just have to have better control and better thought process of how you're going to handle the day-to-day -day things, and you have to be truly committed to helping and loving the people in your life. Like that's a big thing. If you if if your idea of waking up every morning is stress and like yelling at each other, you got to fix that, dude. You got to have a better situation. That ain't gonna work. You gotta, that's gonna be problems. But I want to say uh, thank you again for the talk. Uh, thank you for taking time. Uh, yes, sir. One thing I want to recommend to you and people listening: you got a lot of good shit on your website. You got a lot of products, a lot of information. People might not know that. Do you want to name uh, your website where they could find? Uh, well, we actually have we have two websites now that we're really dealing with. The first is anunconventionallife.com, with one L, so not an unconventional L and then L life. One L unconventionallife.com. That's my personal website. And then I don't know if you know about what's going on in our life in the last year, but our son was killed in a motorcycle accident and we have a website that we are that is dedicated specifically to him which is Noah's Army Foundation.com and dot uh, org. I'm sorry dot org. I always forget the org part. And what we did is created a charitable foundation at which we're gonna we are paying for scholarships for first responders, we're paying for scholarships for for other people, we're paying for a musical program for uh, children in hospitals and we're just essentially we're gonna do everything we can possibly do to achieve the goals from our son's life. I'm sorry to hear. Um, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, um, but those are the two websites. Uh, if you want to find, if you want to find the, my books and videos and the things that we've done as far as strength, we have, I think I have seven books and like 80 videos on anything ridiculous you could possibly do strength wise from, from normal stuff all the way down to the wild stuff. And then if, uh, and uh, I don't know if you can see me. I don't know my phone's dying. Uh, if you uh, if you want to find the other stuff or donate to our charity, it's noahsarmyfoundation.org. Awesome. And I want to say, well, the reason, the way I found you originally was um, your isometrics product. And oh, cool. I, 
Ooh. I love isometrics. I was always been big into it. I use it for like mobility and strength and everything. And it was it was great. You have a lot of good content out there. You need to be good in that stuff a lot more on your Instagram, man. I'll definitely start putting more of it on there. I'll definitely uh, definitely start throwing more of that on there. It's it's you know I, I just I'm constant experimental mode on those things and and so whatever I happen to be thinking about at that moment is what you're going to see on my Instagram. But we'll definitely put some more some more yep. of that on there and put it up awesome. put it up more. Yes, go, go check that out. Always and uh, I hope to chat with you again sometime. It's been great. Absolutely, man. That would be wonderful. I really enjoyed it, and it's been a very good talk. Thanks again, brother. I appreciate it. All right, bud. Have a good night, man. Thanks, buddy. Bye.